On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Studio Secrets A to Z, and I'm Anthony J. Resta, your host here with a very, very special episode with uh, Nuno Bentoncourt, um, the legendary producer, guitarist, extraordinaire, and longtime friend. Um, we have so much to talk about. We have a long history together, and let's just jump right in. Nuno, thank you for being here. Thanks. Sorry, the producer in me just keeps working. I don't know what's going on. I'm, just, I'm getting your voice right. It's the right tone. It's got to be the right frequencies. <laughs> It's great to have you, man. This is uh, a thrill and an honor. We're looking uh, out over the L.A. skyline here up in the, the hills of uh, Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, it's just amazing. And uh, I'm going to, instead of starting off like I usually start off at people's childhoods and their earliest musical memories and all that stuff, we're going to reverse it. And I just want to start off right where we are in 2023 with the, the new Extreme album um, coming out in, what, a month or so? Yeah, June 6th, I believe, June 6th or 9th. That's why they don't have me working that part, because I can't remember the date. <laughs> well, we just dropped, you guys dropped two new songs yesterday, and I'm just really excited about the, the album and the response that's been overwhelming. I think you said like something like 500,000 views in one day or something. It's like... Yeah, that's that's definitely not views that you would think a band in their late 50s and early 60s would get in, in this day and age. But uh, listen, you know, there's, we you know, there's got to be... The Virgo in me and the and the and the you know the analyzer in me, just like we do with music and song, is like this got to be a reason. It just can't be straight up, you know. And as I was pulling back, I was thinking about, you know, when you start getting texts from your heroes and peers going like, "Oh man, what, what's in your Wheaties? What are you guys doing?" Like <laughs> this stuff sounds great, and you know, and the solo people are raving about the solo and the the Rick Beatles of the world who you respect, and and you, you kind of say, I'm, I'm saying to myself a bit like, "This is great," but. I've been doing these kind of solos, you know, since back in the 1900s, you know, like this stuff has been happening. So what's the fuss? Like, why is it happening? And I, the only thing I could come up with, which, you know, what Steve Lukather sent me a great text saying like, yeah, man, I, I know you could play and I know the band's great, but he's like, think about it. In the last 10, 20 years, when have you heard a band, you know, uh, you know, we, with a guitar player in the band that's doing it a kick-ass solo within a song with an arrangement and harmonies and things like that and then it occurred to me it's like oh my god there it is you know the way we discover all of us right now especially musicians the way we discover great guitar players but there's so many of them out right now like incredible is through like instagram for instance yep. and they're sitting in chairs in their bedrooms and living rooms and studios and even though our jaw they make our jaws drop and they're all insane players What's maybe different, what's missing from it that's maybe getting the attention for this is the mythology of rock and roll. 
Absolutely. The bigger than life aspect. You exactly. Know? The, the stuff that we, that we used to, you know, see that it's also a physical instrument. It's also an emotional instrument, not just technical where somebody's showing you how to do something where you're watching a video, even though it's a video, you're watching a guitar player going for blood all in, not just as a player, but emotionally and, and, and the fire of it. Physically, like Physically. The, the jumping around and the whole, the whole yeah, thing. Or just like when you bend a note, you know, letting him see what it means to you like what it meant to you in the studio and even when i record the stuff in the studio i'm not like just kind of like oop de do let me see what note i can put here i still treat it that way like go you know there's the perfect thing is rise the solo everybody's listening to a lot of different things in it but there is if you really go now you go and hear it and you you'll relate to this is there's a section there where i think I went for a note that as I was recording, I thought I was going to hit. I think I missed two strings completely and hit the wrong string. And it made this crazy, like, it was like a kick drum meets a car accident meets, I don't know, I could never replicate if I wanted to. But I think the young version of me would have been like, oh, I got to go back and fix that. But it was such a crazy sound. It was like, bam, and I was like, and that's what I was physically feeling. And I could never recreate it if I wanted to, you know? And you so, say, yeah, you leave it, you know? I, I have a, a story when my daughter was maybe four, she came over and played violin for you. And uh, you, you, you were a little bit teary and stuff. And you, you said, you know, Milana, I felt so much. Uh, it's all about what you put into the notes, not how many notes. And then you told a story of a guitar contest in Japan where there was somebody that blew everybody away. The, the, they, all the tens went up and everybody was freaking out. And you, you said, I'm sorry, man, I didn't feel any emotion in any of those 20,000 notes. Yeah. And you know, that really stuck with me and it really stuck with her. And I, and you've been such a great mentor for her, but it's, it's true. It's like you can play a million notes, but if there's no passion, there's no like yeah. fire, it, it doesn't mean anything. And I see a lot of that. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and people equate the, the biggest myth is that to play with emotion, you got to play slow. Like it's gotta be, it's gotta be Pink Floyd or it's gotta be that slow. That's yeah. wrong. Every there's an emotion in angst, there's an emotion in, in speed, there's an emotion in, in, in playing something beautiful. And even when we're recording vocals, you know, I, I drive Gary crazy because we can all play and sing, but Gary would like, all right, let's do this. You know, and he'd, he'd take a pass and we got to be like, that was perfect, <laughs> but I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Like, where is what we wrote about here? Where is the passion and where is the fact that you're, you're the blood on the page? Make me believe, make, make me, me believe. Make me believe that when somebody listens to this, it's going to save their lives one day or it's going to be their, you know, it's going to be their prom song or something that they love so much that they connect with so much. You know? It's forever, you know, and it's funny, like the, the records that you and I grew up on that we loved so much, whether it's, you know, like Zeppelin One or even like something like Fleetwood Mac Rumors, those vocal performances were so compelling. They, they pulled people into a story and the story ends up being so much bigger than life. And it's, it's that it's an elusive thing. And as a producer, you know how hard it is sometimes to convince artists. You, there, you know, there's that magic take that happens early on. And yeah. then you spend the next like eight hours, like getting it worse and worse. Yeah. People don't understand like a lot of times the authenticity comes from when you're not thinking. Think, yeah. Thinking is the enemy. All of it comes from not thinking. I mean, I, ever since I think I learned that lesson on wholehearted, Wholehearted, I have not recorded a demo since the first album and even and, and since the wholehearted days, even for Porn Graffiti. Why? Those were all, all that you heard on Porn Graffiti were, de were not demos. It was us going to Cortland back in the day and kind of telling the label, oh yeah, we're going to go in and, and, and do our pre-production. No, I knew that those were going to be the tracks, Decadence and, and Get the Funk. Those were going to be the basics and those are what they were because you, you when you first 
do a take of something, you, you're in a zone where you're so excited about what you're doing and it is magic there. There's some emotion, there's something, there's a danger there even. There's a, there's a messiness. There's, so then we're, all, we're now in LA. We did Wholehearted on a bad A-track in Gary's basement with like I used a, uh, a headset mic. A headset mic. I didn't have mics and I had the 12 stream. I'm like, how am I going to record this thing? And I literally goes, he had an old like Burger King headset mic or something. And I duct taped it to my knee to record that. And then I did this and whatever. So now we're at the big expensive studio in LA and we're cutting hard. And it was just like, this sucks because it's so good. It was better. All the performances get better. Everybody gets so in tune. Everybody. So we had to like ship the whole A track out and everything and then get that onto the two track why and that was the single and the single went top four globally and it was recorded with a headset mic showing you what showing you that as long as the magic is there and and and, and the the want and the beauty of the song and the reason the, the why you did it like why do you the excitement of it you can re-record it 20 times and it's and it's technically better it's it's sonically better but so what something's missing something's missing you know and i tell that uh, to artists that I produce all the time, oftentimes nowadays with people having their own Pro Tools setups or Logic or whatever, they, they have these great demos that are really strong beginnings of things. And I call that the DNA and the DNA of a song you want to keep alive. And like, yeah. I don't like starting something like completely from scratch anymore because, you know, people are at home. They, this is the excitement of creation. Like what they've put together, it comes yeah. from that special place. And if you try to just wipe it clean, it's like you lose something. So it is, it's like, it's, it's in any art though. It's like, you know, imagine you're, I don't know, you're driving down some dark boulevard in Hollywood at night and you see paintings on the side that this guy's just selling or something. Right. And you're like, Oh my God, I got to stop and see, what are you going to tell him? Can you do it again? <laughs> Can you do that one again a little better and make the color a little bit more vibrant? No, you stopped for a reason don't mess with destiny and what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Art is, is hard to quantify in so many different ways. There's a fun, a scene in a Woody Allen movie. I think it's Hannah and her sisters where this famous artist uh, meets this guy and, and he, he goes to his loft space and, and he loves, he loves the paintings, but he goes, do you got something bigger? You know, I, yeah. I need a really big one. Yeah. You know? and, the, I, and the, and the guy's like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. No, because it, it, it's, it's the, it's, it's why, you know, you learn really quickly that, of why music matters and, and, and how, when you record it, your song, like even recently, you know, like you said, that you know, the new extreme album or whatever it is, once they go out, they're like babies that you've raised. And once they go out, they're no longer yours. People will do what they will with it. It'll become a soundtrack to something in a, in, in a locker room before somebody goes, plays a song. It'll become, it'll become a wedding song. It'll become whatever it is. I've used to get letters. I learned, I learned that the real emotional way where you know, once again, back in the 1900s, before we'd get like emails and messages and texts, you'd get boxes of fan mail when you'd come home from tour and you'd open these things and you'd really discover quickly how important a song can be to somebody specifically that they think and believe that you are talking to them. I've had anything from like, this is my prom song to my wedding song to even somebody, this specific song saved my life and I had planned like my suicide. I knew what I was going to do when, wow. what time it was going to be. And then they said, I heard this one song and it just made me want to live. It made me, it was speaking to me. So that's how powerful those things can be. Music. I mean, to, yeah. to, in, yeah. to make that difference in somebody's life is just insane. It's yeah. uh, it's real, and it's a responsibility um, in yeah. some weird, weird way. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's you just do what you do. It, the responsibility is to be yourself and to be authentic and... I'm of the mind that a song has to fit in 
and, and conjure up emotion and touch somebody in some way. I don't care if it's the deepest Radiohead song or, or Leonard Cohen, or if it's shot, 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 and you're in a bar and no. you're taking shots, that song has done its job. That's what it's <laughs> supposed to do. And it's gotten you emotionally hyped and crazy in a club and all it says is shot, shot, shot. You know, that's it. it. it it's, there's the magic. That's it. So in, in composing these composing i know I, i've worked with you a lot in the studio and i've seen you work in a lot of different ways you're not somebody that just does things one particular way mm. for the solos for the say the, the three most recent extreme songs was the process on each one of those similar to, or or do you can you say that rise was different than zombie or you know tell, well, tell us a little bit about your process these days recording a solo well it's interesting my main objective is all is always been and i'm hopefully you know you hopefully get better at it but i've never wanted to take a solo in the traditional way that like, all right, man, this is just a moment for you to go off and don't even, because you're going to find, you're going to reach into your bag of licks and see, and see what happens. Right. <laughs> to me, I'm always like play for the song. That's it's a song within a song. Meaning what? Meaning that you got an opportunity here to say something, but at the same time, like, why would you want to say anything? And whenever I talk to, uh, you know, I've had recent guitar interviews where they say like, well, how do you approach that? Like you asked, and to me, the song is the greatest gift a soloist can have. The song is telling you the lyrically what it's what the tone is, whether it's an up or it's you know a heavy heavy subject, darker or not. The tonality of the song, the rhythm section, the the hooks that you wrote, the bridge that it's coming out of to go into your solo, and where you're going. So you're in the middle of a song. You're a piece of the song. You're not just soloing for the hell of it. You're like, how do I stay in the tonality and especially the energy of the song? If it's play with me like back in the day and Bill and Ted's and it's just crazy, then go crazy, man. That's the, you know, like yeah. feel it. So the song is already talking to you. It's guiding you. It's already telling you. And, and the reason I know this to be true is from all the great guitar players is that, you know, over the last 10, 15, even 20, what am I talking about? Even earlier than that. All the isolated tracks that have been leaked, multi-tracks have been leaked from all the greatest songs, whether it's Steely Dan, whether it's Van Halen, Queen, Queen, all of it. One thing you notice right away is that when you hear those solos that were iconic by themselves, you kind of go, oh, that's all it was. It, it humanizes it, almost makes it like takes the, it takes the, the legend and the myth, you know, the mythology out of it. Why? Because it would be the same thing. If I did, Rise Solo has been getting this crazy reaction, but if I did what the label kind of suggested in management was like, hey, Nuno, man, give him a teaser, sit in the studio just with the guitar and play, give him a, a taste of the solo. It would have been like, it would have been a rap. We wouldn't have had none of the excitement of the solo that we had because what's important with the solo was how it was created. Did I create it playing by myself? No, I had a great rhythm section. And even in that song, for instance, the song is like, you know, double time. And then instead, when it gets into that break of the faster thing that I go faster, the band what the hell the band that's the band calling the band the band shifts down to halftime and i go the other way so that's what that does and it's like people are like wait what, what's happening it makes it even appear to be crazier and every but yet they go into halftime like the chorus so i fed off that and you feed off all those things that your rhythm section is doing you take that away it's a different soul and that's it. It's, it sort of comes from the where the song led you. But one of the things I love about your solos and people like Elliot Easton and, and oh. yourself. You Elliot Easton is the epitome of that. No, it's the it's, greatest. There's something about the 
the whole structure of it that later, even if it's super technical, there's parts of it that stick in your head. Yeah. So like, I mean, it's not like you go like, I'm going to make something hooky and catchy, but it just, it, when you're like a, an extraordinary musician and, and you put all that energy into it, it ends up being hap- It ends up happening. Brian may listen like the solo on, uh, you know, lazing on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. I mean, these are the, our influences growing up and I know you and I've known you since the late eighties. So it's like to hear you, keep you know building and learning and growing i mean it's it's well, a lifelong you, thing you mentioned earlier about brian may saying a few things about me and i believe he says those things because it's in his wheelhouse of what he likes which is play for the damn song even and i think the thing that was the hardest thing to do is 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 you know i hate using the term shred yeah but if that means speed and shredding it's hard to do that and be memorable without it just sounding like a bunch of scales that you're doing right of course when you play something pretty and you say something beautiful it's a melody it's really mem- you know but we used to call it back in the day and you probably remember this with bob we used to call it how can i mern which is melody plus burn how can i mern this solo <laughs> meaning like you I can still that. you can still like play with fire but it can still belong and it can still be something that complements the song, especially if the song is also burning and burning itself, you know, so to speak, you know. Oh, well, even those crazy arpeggios on the second half of Rise has a, a beautiful melodic emotion to it that just flows with those chords. It's just, it's like, it's not just shred. It's like way, it's compositional. It's like, it's like Vivaldi. I mean, you have that like classical sort of background somewhere in your brain i don't know if it comes from another lifetime or whatever but i i also not to jump subjects but i read read recently about a paganini thing that you did with uh oh my god yeah tell us about that yeah they called it paganuno because it's definitely not paganini (laughs) uh it's out of that's kind of out of my wheelhouse and i almost turned it down because it's I was like, wonderful. This is Are just, you kidding me? No, but I, I thought, you know, like, I, I like the people, there's people like Ingve who play that stuff. That's his wheelhouse. That's what it is. I do it a bit. I've done it a bit through the years and I love classical music, but that was so in that realm of what it, so I try to make it my own, but it was really fun to play a lot of those melodies and to play a lot of that stuff. It was really fun because it was a little bit outside the box for me. How did you prepare for that? Um, oh man, a lot of push-ups. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, I think it was just more, once again, I kind of like let myself be a slave to the song because the composition was already there. Right. And I'd like, listen, you can't just walk into this as Nuno. You got to kind of, you kind of, kind of got to walk in and be like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm in that era. I'm in that zone. What does that mean to me? Like, not just like what would I do with the solo as if it was my song because it wasn't my song. So, um, yeah, it was really interesting to... And uh, a bit of a challenge to to not embarrass myself in that genre. <laughs> no, you really rose to the occasion. I really liked. Uh, I listened to it several times. I was just like, wow, you know, it's just I'm so impressive. So you know, I'm jumping around a little bit, but I just you know, just all these versatile things that you do. It's it's nice to just kind of go into some different areas. You know, when you and I have a history of way back in like the schizophonic era, we wrote songs together, and I would send you grooves, and oh yeah, you well, always yeah. surprised me like with the direction you take things it's it's not always going to be like what you think you know it's like um one of my favorite guitar solos of all time of yours and i tell this to people is you have to check out the guitar solo on true love in the galaxy Mm. because you do this Mm. sort of adrian Ballou, robert fripp this this insanely i i can't even put it into words you know what that had that once again that's me taking that was your track right yeah you played me that instrumental and you told me what it meant to you and what lyrically was behind yeah. it and you know in the title with galaxy and true love in the galaxy i literally tried to imagine 
well, what this, what would this guitar solo sound like in space? You know, it's, like, it's like telemetry. And, 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 I mean, and, it's and out amazing. of space, you know, and, and it's, and it's a lot of people who listen to it go like, I'm not sure that's Nuno or not in a good way. Meaning that it, that's the epitome of playing for the song. You know what I mean? And, right. and, 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 and sometimes you got to have, you know, part of my French, the balls to, 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 to walk that plank into somebody else's world. You know? I started crying when I heard it because it was like everything I ever dreamed it could be, but a million times better. And I remember we were in a snowstorm. You had driven from Hudson up to yeah, yeah. Chelmsford. And we were and, listening to it. And, it was and like, we were doing, you were doing like, like uh, circles in the snow in the parking lot. Yeah. And, and I just, I was bawling my eyes out because it was just so beautiful. And I had lost my dad not long before that. And I just, I felt like his love coming from the galaxies. And, you know, these are the musical memories that I have with you that I wanted to share a little bit of in the podcast. Of course. Too. I mean, a perfect, another perfect example, like true love in the galaxy was great, but uh, an interesting example was uh, when we talk about demos and our song shifts. You remember Gravity yep. that I did on uh, the one of my favorite tracks that I did, and it was on Schizophonic, the opener, and that that loop that you did. It was just a loop, and people think, "Oh, a loop is just a loop is just a loop." But all of a sudden, I literally replaced the whole drum kit. Remember how you were like, "What?" You know, it was going to be for a section, but like, right. nah, it's got to be like it's uh, it's got to be that, especially in the verses. And then we add some drums to. But that's a perfect example of you know uh, having that kind of collaboration where. You, you know, you got to take your ego out of it, whether you use somebody else's 90% of what somebody does or you use 1% of what somebody does. It's always what's good for the track. And always, that's, that's yeah. tough to recognize sometimes. Yeah. And that's why you're a good producer is you, you recognize magic when you hear it. Um, and, yeah. Yeah, and it's really it's really special. Yeah, we have so many great memories of being in Australia. I always remember uh, Byron Bay. We were uh, re- recording at Gary Gary Beer's studio at Magnolia. Yeah. And it was just this playhouse. We would go in there and there, there was like a, a vault, like a bank vault full of like vintage guitars and yeah. amps and stuff. And it was like, we were like kids in a candy store. Like, what are we going to do today? Yeah, it was a bass player for NXS, Gary. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we did a lot of great stuff. You know, a good, good collab- no, the collaboration on that album was uh, Severed. I love that one. Yeah, because that was, you know, that was your instrumental and you know the seagulls from newport rhode island made it into that there were seagulls and it became about and talk about once again being inspired by what's there and the song the whole thing was using a bird the the birds were the lyrics and it was a song about it was a song about uh it was kind of dark the lyrics because it was talking about when you get told or you know that there's a chance that you're you're either sick or ill, and I used the bird, the severed wing, and then, you know, whether, at the time I was thinking about AIDS, I think, and things yep. like that, when somebody gets told that, and the heaviness of that, look, there's pretty good chance that you're not going to make it through this, whether it's cancer or anything else, but told it lyrically in, 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 the, in the form of a bird that's like flying, for instance, south for the winter and has to leave or else, but then severs a wing and has to go down and land, and knowing, so it was, a, the whole the lyrics were the perspective from from that about like knowing that it's coming you know that's, and, that's so crazy i've heard that song a million times and i honestly never put the connection of the the, the seagulls that somehow went through the window inspired yeah. yeah i didn't i i this is the, at this moment is the first time yeah, I, I don't think we ever talked about that no but it's that's crazy. where i got inspired i'm like how do i tell the story and i'm like and i kept hearing these seagulls i'm like oh my god it's a bird it's from the perspective of what happens to the that's why it was the birds are flying south, all that stuff. All I, had, those a, I yeah. had a timeshare in Newport and I, I used to, I set up a whole studio like o- overlooking the ocean and I had the screen doors open that day and I was recording some stuff and like there it was and I just added it into the groove. That's so funny. I never knew that. Yeah, these, we have so many uh, rich uh, memories yeah. together doing different stuff. Oh, 
Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, uh, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Welcome back. You're listening to Studio Secrets A to Z. I'm your host, Anthony J. Resta, and you were just listening to the song Gravity from the album Schizophonic that I produced with Nuno Betancourt, who is my guest today. We're going to jump right back in. So as far let's just jump into like some gear stuff, because our, our podcast is, has a lot of geeky gear stuff. Um, people love hearing about like the recording process and yeah. what Studio Secrets A to Z. Can you tell us a little bit about your uh, recording setup um, that you were you know using for your guitar tracks and stuff for uh, the new album? Yeah, look, for me, it's the, the guitar. I, you know, even as you're looking at it, I have a, a Kemper that sits there. And uh, I use it for creativity, but I don't record with it. 
meaning I record with it just, you know, if I'm writing something and I want a decent quick sound, not to fire up the, in the other room, fire up the big, the big cab and the big Marshall. But yeah, for me right now on the extreme album, I used 99% of it was a Marshall, a DSL 2000. But I, you know, when I say that to people, they're like, you, what? That's the tone on the album. I'm like, well, I, kind of true, but a little bit of a lie because the, if you saw the EQ on it, it's like <laughs> the, the presence is at one and a half. The treble is at one and a half. Mid-range is like one and a half. And then the bass is up at like six. And people are like, well, how do you get tone out of it? You're not even you're using more than one. It's like, well, but then when you turn it up, it's like it's loud and doable and playable, not like loud it hurts and I can't control it. It's it's exactly like everything from my muted style and the warmer sound, that browner sound that I like, but it almost looks wrong. Every time I'm on stage, like somebody comes on and go, hey, you got to come over and fix your settings. Somebody like put their hand over and I'm like, no, that's it. Don't touch it. And they're like, what? You, you, you have everything off, like just about at one one. I'm like, that's the way it works. If I turned up that. So most people that hear those amps, they're like, oh, they're a little harsh. I'm like, yeah, they are. But if you do that to it and uh, and, and the other key is always the cabinet. I use a, a, a 900, a JCM 900 cabinet. I love the way they sound. But it's also from since the beginning, I've always used the same two mics. It's, it's a 421. And a, and a 57 side by Classic. side Classic. and then not in the center they're just off axis and that's what i've been using since i can remember walking back in Cortland, and, and and i tell people and they have to be even the second somebody's like you know they you know guys out front they're like let me i like this no 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 you cannot change it's it's 50 50 they they do something one does the, something that the other does they combine two mics together so that's a big way to capture it. That's a classic uh, setup that's you know tried and true. So it's like yeah, one's warm and the yeah. other one is hard, is more in the mid range and it fills the hole of the warmth. You know. Wow. So that cab is how long have you been recording with that cab in the studio? I, it- I I I used that's for this album. I used used to have a nineteen sixties a real nineteen sixties version of it that I had was a nineteen sixty B I think what it was, but. I had a big break in, uh, break into a storage unit oh. uh, here in LA um, that had everything I recorded, every Extreme album on, and it, and somebody just emptied it out and took it. It was like an inside job. Kind oh of my thing. god! That's and I, I cried outside the, the, in the hallway for I don't know how long. Like drum kits that we use in Extreme Records, uh, amps, heads, Soldano stuff that I use. So I was like, okay, time to go back to the drawing board and, and see what works for you. And uh, but that, and then I use, um, but the real the the voodoo pedal that that i use that i cannot i wouldn't you'll never see me recording playing live recording without it is a rat pedal still that's wild like a vintage or yeah a vintage the old ones that the 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 one of the original uh, uh rat pedals that i don't use it for distortion though so it just sits on top of my amp and i go into it and then it goes out into the front of the cab and if you look at the settings it's the distortion once again is it like you know, eight o'clock, which is like, you know, two, two, yeah. two up. There's a little filter button that stays at 12. That, that I leave that don't touch that. And then the volume though, the volume on the other side is the opposite of it's at like 2 PM. So it's kind of like wings, you know, depending on whatever. Yeah. And the reason that is, is that even when I was John, generation X recently and like, you know, you got some of your heroes up there, like Steve, I, you got Zach wild, Ingve Malmsteen, Tosin Abasi. And they're like, what is your rat pedal doing? I'm like, use that for distortion. I'm like, no, and like, well, so then I go, you guys play and they like, and they hit a chord and then you, you punch it in and out. It does absolutely nothing, <laughs> nothing to them until you start playing like I play. 
it tightens the bottom end of any amp for me. So when I, I like to play really percussive and especially sure. the stuff at the end of Rise where it's like, it feels like almost like a kick drum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what it does. Tightens so it, it does nothing to the tone. And people are like, like, this is just, is the battery, is no battery? What's going, what's happening? And I'm like, but when, when Marshall bottom end has always been a little floppy to me, and that just makes it feel like it's like turns it into a kick drum in the low end. So interesting. I mean, that's the studio secret we're sharing here, which oh, is yeah, really absolutely. That's amazing. Absolutely. Do you use greenback speakers in those things? No, or? I'm actually I used to, and yeah. now I'm using these seventy watt. I, I switched. I don't know if years back and there's seventy watt just basic set. You know, what do you like about those versus the greenbacks? Just I don't know. I used to want to play softer with the greenbacks, and the twenty five watt greenbacks had like a warmth to it, and then for some reason. I started wanting to be louder and do what I was telling you, kind of reverse it. Don't yeah. play softer for that warmth, but just go for it and have it punch more. Sure. But the 70 watt speakers did something different. You know, look, I'm not a technical, I am, I'm a high school dropout, so I know nothing about actual <laughs> electrics, you know, like, uh, you know, electronics. Yeah. I can't even say electronics, I said yeah. electrics. I don't know anything about electrics, <laughs> but, uh, but my point being is that, I just know when something sounds good and what speaker sounds good. And I go, oh, okay, let me try that for a while. You know, But amps and speakers are a journey. Every time you think you have the amp, the one, it's like a, it's like a friend that you meet and you get sick of them. But I mean, it, you have relationships with guitars and amps. They're relationships and, and you you don't want to eat at the same place all the time. You don't yeah. want to hang out with the same person all the time. You, 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 you tend to go like, I've done that. I've been there. That's my tone. Everybody's like, you think you could never change it? And it used to bother me like when... Yeah. I met Edward and he was like, no, nah, man, he thinks the Van Halen 1 and 2, like the horrible guitar song, they sound thin and small. I'm like, what? That was it. I'm still being my albums, to, my, my, my tone to right? Van Halen 1. And you listen yeah. to the stories of him talking about, uh, there's one interview where he's talking about being on the phone with Les Paul. Yeah. And, talk, and talking about the pot, taking the pots out and like yeah. do, the, the voltage thing. Yeah. Talk, tell us a little bit um, about your relationship with Edward. Cause I know he was a fan of, of yours and you were a fan of his and I, you saw him, I think pretty close to the, near the end of his life. Um, yeah. Well, what's interesting, uh, one of the, one of the strange things, and I didn't realize this until I, I was already, Rise was already out and, and I was doing a bunch of press and then I was doing this guitar magazine. Uh, it was actually for my first Guitar World interview, I think in 30 years, literally the last time I was on the cover, I think it was wow. 1993 and now it's 2023. Think wow. about that. So I'm finally getting the cover of, you know, one, 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 one track on one song. <laughs> thanks guys. Uh, but, That's um, amazing. But, um, congrats. Thanks man. But, but it's actually the irony of it is just like a yeah. one song. Really? I, yeah. That's all I had to do. <laughs> But uh, but I'm excited. It's 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 I'm honored to be on any cover of anything. And and uh, but like Woody Allen said, I, I wouldn't want to belong to any club that would have me as a member. Uh, but uh, the the I was up here right where you're sitting right now, and I've never even going back. You know Bob St. John, who engineered yep. all our stuff. We're all old friends, and he was the only guy that was in the room when I'd record anything because I couldn't engineer and do it at the time and hit play and record like we do now. And it wasn't like he wasn't helping me with the solo, but he knew that I wanted to be in his own and kind of like be quiet. Let me go in and let me just say, come in here, come in there. I love what I did here. And he was kind of just helping me out on that side, but not so much creatively because I kind of black out when I'm creating a solo zone. or a guitar part, you know, I get in the zone and, and, uh, and, and, Ever since I've been kind of working in my own studio, I have nobody. I don't. I don't have a karaoke. I don't have yeah. my assistant. It's not because I don't need one, as you saw earlier today. I need one badly, <laughs> but I can't have another presence in the room when I'm doing something that I need to go down a rabbit hole in. Because even if somebody says, "Hey, you want a cup of coffee?" I'm out. 
I like it took me out of it. Wow, yeah. It's that deep. It's like I lose, I lose. I like to be in the culture of what I'm cutting yep. vocally, especially anything. I'm just like, can't be a sound. It just there can't be anybody. So I'm alone in here all the time. I don't have an assistant. I don't do anything because that's how I like to work. The people that know that the most are the people in my band. They're like Nuno's recording. Do not go in there. Like literally, like a you know a pick will come across like a a, ch- a star that goes into your neck, and and it's like get out. And, um, but here I am and we're recording. Gary was in town. He was coming back to do the vocal to rise. And I didn't realize this was happening during. So while I was recording the solo to rise, I was kind of just starting to dabble into some things and seeing where I was going with it and just doing a few takes. And then my phone starts, you know, blowing up and vibrating with text messages. And I'm like, Gary's like, what do you want? Like, <laughs> then the phone starts ringing. He knows about it. Cause he, he knows I'm up here recording. Three times he calls and three times six to come in. And I'm like, this dude has called me more in the last 30 seconds than in the last 30 years. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God. So he says, you got to come down. He's reading this thing. And I'm like, I'm so pissed at this point. Now I'm like, all right, something must be wrong. And I race, you know, my house, it takes me a minute to get down the street. Yeah. Uh, the studio's way up there. And I open the door and I come out kind of like fuming and I see Edwards there. And I'm like, oh, that's a good reason. Edward Van Halen is outside. Wow. You know, So you, that's a good reason to come out and call me and interrupt my, the solo. And, uh, you know, we talked for a bit and he was, uh, uh, you know, big hug and a kiss. He's always such, always been so warm to me. Like he didn't never had to be, but for some reason he was always, even way before Gary was in Van Halen, he was always so welcome with me. And you, you, I used to hear stories about, you know, how some guitar players don't like other guitar players and they, you know, they just, don't, it's not a good thing. And, and that would have crushed me, but he's oh. always been so kind to me and so warm and, uh, and, and, you know, I asked him what he was up to, and he, he was playing a few of his son, you know, Wolfie's new album. He's like, he's playing all the instruments, and proud papa, you know, yeah, talking about it. Totally. Excited about that. And then he's like, man, Gary tells me you got some, you know, you're up there recording, this stuff sounds good. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's going all right. He's like, you know, I'd love to hear it. I'm like, the stupid, dumb Virgo in me, like, who wants to make everything ready, you know, yeah. before you play anybody, was like, nah, you know, maybe some other time to come back. He's like, oh, okay. You know, and I'm like, because you know what? I, I wanted to play him the Rise solo when it's done. I wanted to play him like the songs when they're done because it's Edward Van Halen, right? Yeah. But sadly, you know, I, he, he seemed so fine. I didn't know how sick he was and I would have never guessed and the way he was behaving and he never came back because wow. he, he passed away. And uh, But what was interesting about the song that was released first and what's getting all this kind of great, you know, reaction was this was a solo that I was cutting the last time I saw him? I mean, talk about poetry and in uh, in in having your idol and your king, King Edward. Was that a message? Was he just saying, you know, I don't know, you know? It's like well, that's incredible. I mean, and I think in in a lot of ways, um, I'm sure other people have said this, but in, in a way, I feel like you kind of are carrying the torch for him in in the guitar world. But not that there aren't like other people that play like fast and with a lot of technique and use hammer-ons and all that stuff but but it's it's a cultural thing it's like yeah, it's more within a band a guitar player in the band with songs and things like that you know when somebody said to me like recently when rise came out and then once again when rick beato said you know nuno's the guy you know like i'm like what do you mean i'm the guy like or somebody you know recently a few interviews in guitar magazines they're like you're you're the heir to the throne man of the edward throne and i and that's where i stop and I go, okay, let me explain something to you. <laughs> Nobody is the heir to the throne of Edward Van Halen. Not me, I not Steve Vai, not Jimmy Page even, not even Brian May. Because Edward's throne is sitting there where it belongs with all his guitars wrapped around like Game of Thrones, like a chair with all the swords. <laughs> and his music is here. His music, his music and what he did is way more powerful than even him in the flesh and him in ashes wherever he is right now in heaven or whatever's going on. 
he leaves such a legacy and he changed the game. He innovated the game. He brought guitar to a different place. Nobody takes that throne. I wouldn't be playing this way if it wasn't for him. That's, that's, you know what I mean? So for me, it's like, all I can do is what you said. I can take that torch that he influenced me and, and influenced a lot of different people and just keep that flame alive and hopefully pass it on to an, another generation do whatever. And, and all I can hope is when that solo came out was that, you know, he's up there smiling down and going like, you know what? You've done good, kid. You know? That's wonderful, man. That's a really, really inspiring. Um, here's a funny moment. Can you remember the very first time you heard uh, Van Halen on a record? Absolutely. Tell the, us about that second, moment. second, while you were saying it, I saw the room. I smelled the room. I, <laughs> I was in 276 Main Street in Hudson, Massachusetts. And I remember 1978... When they came out, when Van Halen one came out, I, I had no, I know I was still listening to Aerosmith and Zeppelin even as a young kid because I'm young as the ten kids. So they all four or five bedrooms in different in the upstairs, and yeah. and you know you always kind of heard what was coming out of people's bedrooms. Yeah, and I heard like something coming through the door that I was like, what in the <laughs> devil's name is that? Like, what sorcery is that? Like, what spaceship landed and what is going on? Like ru- eruptions coming through the room and then running with the devil. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? So I waited. You could never play your brother's collection. You know how that shit goes. Like yeah. you can't go and mess with other people's <laughs> stuff. So I waited. Everybody left. I'm like, I'm going in. I'm going in his bedroom. And I remember staring at that cover with all four of them on the cover and then seeing like the back of it with David Roth bending backwards. And I was, already I was in. I'm like, what is happening here right now? And I'm grabbing that needle and dropping that needle and hearing the popping and hearing that backwards car horn coming in. And, and you know, go. Down, then a sprinkle on the piano, or whatever it was, or on the, the end of the guitar, or the springs, and everybody's still debating it, whatever it was. And then boom, and then and that was it. The look on your face, I wish I could see it. it I was just, just like, oh my God. Like, I felt like I was like violated. I, I don't know what was going on. I was just like, oh my God. I was in here yesterday listening to, to Zeppelin 4. Yeah. You know, sneaking in, listening to Zep 4 and listening to Go in California and trying to work that out. And then, you know, listening to the ocean, which is still like everything. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, what? What is this? What is this? Like, what am I hearing? Is this music? I don't even know what this is. And there's a party going on, by the way, while it's all happening. Ross like, oh, yeah. (laughs) And then there's great harmonies and you're like this. And then there's something that really messed me up. Swing bebop sweet the hell like this is the 1920s and the roaring 30s and 20s like who does this like once in a while a band will have a track every three albums like you know zz top the whole record was like that i'm the one but on on crack yeah (laughs) and you're like what the hell is with double bass going like it's over. Like, what just happened? They just wiped everybody. Those brothers, the way they were connected. Oh my god, that's why I was telling you earlier, like Eddie Van Halen does not sound like he sounds without Alex Van Halen on drums, period, full stop, done. It's chemistry. Gone. It was all a perfect bed for Edward. And, and, I, and I remember that, and I was just like, that's it. Now it was like you were corrupted. You're, you looked at the guitar differently. You were like, is that even a guitar? I remember when he was doing boom, boom, ping, ding, 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 ding. And there's like, he's tapping harmonics. We didn't know. I'm like, me and my friends are like, me and Steve Paul, like, He's playing with spoons. It's got to be spoons. He's tapping with spoons because what is that bubbling thing when you're hitting uh, hitting yeah. an octave? You know, with, with looking for harmony. We didn't even know that was even. Existing. And there were no videos. Like no, there was no internet. There was no nothing. There was nobody, and you were just asking God what was going on. What is and, happening? And, and, and you had to go see it live to to work it out. 
and you still were like, what was going on? You still didn't understand. Talk about a life-changing experience. Oh my God. It just, it changed everything. It if you had to, everything. this is a weird question, but if you had to pick like your favorite Van Halen solo or no, your top three Van Halen solos. Yeah, man, that's tough. That is tough because what I was, you know why it's tough is because it might have to be songs because the solo belonged in a song. Sure. So what was really interesting is like, he's one of those guys also that made it really fun. Like before we were listening to rock bands, they did riffs, you know, Sabbath and Zeppelin. And then there was a solo, but then it was like, why do we got to wait for the solo? He, he was doing dr where the drum fills were supposed to be. And sometimes were, he was doing guitar fills. So he was like, wait, you mean in between an A and B verse, I can play, I can overplay something and I can have fun with the, you know, down, 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 a dive bomb, whatever. He's like, oh my God, this is so cool. So he's the guy that said, guys, yeah, the solo is great, but you have a whole other three minutes to play with here. <laughs> you know, get creative. Paint, finger paint. paint. So he made that fun and he brought that joy and, 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 and you know, he, with a smile on and into it. So there were songs that really, you know, in the beginning, of course, like, you know, Running With The Devil and, and, and you cannot talk about eruption. But at the same time, it was like, I'm the one. Atomic Punk comes in. And I was a drummer. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then I, re I found out he was. Of course, that's why his rhythm playing is amazing. Of course, that's why he's going. I mean, come on. Only drummers know to do that. No guitar players know to do that. And you're a drummer and you yeah, know that. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I just bang on guitar now. Like I, I have no idea what I just, that's what I do is I bang on guitar. It's like, yeah. And, and that's what I've been doing. That's why people are like, man, you, you got the best right hand. And well, that came from a lot of masturbation, but the, the, <laughs> the actual rhythm part of it, like, you know, but, 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 but the funny thing is, it's like, yeah, it was because of drums. It's like, it basically with your right hand is like a hi-hat. Yep. That's the hi-hat that you're playing. And then it's the pockets on, you know, there. And then on the left, you're kind of like, it, you just you're just working with it with the rest of your body and uh, but like when I heard I, I started getting really attracted to the funkiness of bands that's why Extreme was so funky but I you know Aerosmith was already a funkier band and Get Your Wings and all like you know Last Child and all that stuff and sure and and obviously Walk This Way and everything but then I also saw the funkiness in Zeppelin with the crunz I saw that James Brown I always I always went towards that yeah. in the rock bands the rock funk well stuff. you have to mention Prince is a big influence of course I mean of course, and, and, but but in a, in a way, Prince and, and Parliament, those stuff, they weren't rock bands. So we were like, wait, I would hear like Van Halen. I would go, uh-oh. I would hear, I'm like, this funkiness in Van Halen too. And then even somebody get me a doctor was, I hear the funkiness in that. The swing. You know, this, yeah. you know but it's like still straight up funk. And, you know, and then Mean Streets was the one that did me in. Oh, that solo. Me, me, the, the, not only it opened with the solo, but all of a sudden the solo, which already your jaw's on the floor, but then that ends and then there's quiet and there's, yeah, and you and I was like, and I was heard all that funkiness. I'm like, oh my God, this is my shit. Like I already loved Van Halen, but I was like, oh my God, that's the one that really fucked me That was me a up. transition and That was a transition you. that made me go like, that's the shit that I love. Like you just connected with I that. just connected the dots with like the funkiness of all the rock bands. And then... It, you know, it was Pat Travers, Go For What You Know, that live album, Go For What You Know, was my rock Bible with Hooked On Music and Getting Better. Talk about swing. Swing, all that stuff. So Shuffle. I really started seeing my 
my, you know, the matrix. I started seeing the matrix Full circle. of where I was headed. And know? it all makes sense. You know, this is yeah. wonderful to share this story because I don't know how many, I mean, you've probably shared it a bunch of times. Actually, not many times. I've, many I've times. never really heard this. And so yeah, yeah. for me, this is, this is really cool. I mean, I've known you. I don't, we don't even want to say how many because years. you know when we work together we we don't we don't grill each other about our influence and like that like we're doing like we're, we're just, having yeah, we're, we're, we're creating we're creating on, we're focusing on creating songs and writing songs and beats and loops and yeah and and, and and finishing tracks because we're already past that you know i've never discussed eddie van halen with you in let's say 25 years so we don't seem so oh, old without a doubt i mean <laughs> and, 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 the, and the, you know talking about geeking out with pedals and gear yeah after i, I eddie's down there and I come back up, of course, already, the, I'd say 80% of the Rise solo, at least like the, the takes were there. Yep. And, you know, talk about influence, him influence, influencing you, even just from seeing him. And then I'm like, oh my God, the front of the solo is literally that tremolo picking right out of eruption. You know? Right. And then I'm like, then I'm doing it. And I'm like, oh my God, it made me realize how influenced I was by him because it was already there. A lot of people were saying, you know, Betancourt does the Cream album. You know, it's a tribute to Eddie Van Halen. No, the stuff was already recorded. It was done when yeah. he passed. Yeah. But I will say this. There was one thing that I could never do, even though I loved it, and I could never do because I would never be, I would be called a clone or I would be, it was unforgivable as use a phase 90 pedal. I couldn't. It was, it was that all, setting, Edward yeah. owned it. It was a little bit at nine o'clock, slower, and it was all over Van Halen, one, two, three, it was going, and that was, that became his tone, his sound, and if you even dared putting that on your Sacrilege. album, you would just, you would just, yeah, you would just, it, it plagiarism, and it's a pedal, but he, it was so influential and so big that you couldn't even go there, and it was like, fuck, I really wanted to use it too, but it's like, so what I did is I, I was like, I finished the rise solo and I was like, man, this is so Edward influence. I'm like, what am I? I really want to hear a phase 90 on it. And I'm like, I really want to like, that's how I wanted to kind of nod and pay a little tribute sure. to it. But I'm like, I don't want to re-record the damn solo. Like I love it. So I don't want to go through it. So I literally Googled like phase 90 plugin. No way. And I was literally Googling saying like, did, has anybody cracked that code on a plugin? Because I know, you know how plugins are. Sure. They're not the analog things. We all love our pedals. But then I saw this one. I can't tell you the name of it right now, but if you go, it's the only one that'll come up. Yeah. And it was good because I'm still on Pro Tools 10 from yeah. way back yeah. and it worked. It doesn't work on the new stuff. It only works on what I'm doing. That's so funny. So I'm like, cool. So I downloaded it. I'm like, uh, no expectation. It's not going to sound like it. I'm thinking, and I put it on. I'm like, oh my God, That's it. it's nailing it. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm going, I'm going with it. And I put it and I put it there and it colored that whole solo. And all of a sudden I really found out why it isn't a, it wasn't a phaser for Edward. It was a cultural, like, I always listen to a phaser and what it does in coloring the sound that we're hearing is going, yeah. you know, you hear it it's when a, it's, it's sweeping. It's a cycle, it's a wave. It's a cycle, it's a wave. So I can, but I didn't realize why Eddie's picking sounded the way it sounded. So every time you don't use a phase 90 and say you do a straight up picking, like you, you can do an experiment with it, you're like, you hear kind of like when I did the solo originally, it was like, and all you will pay attention to is the notes. You know the picking was going, but you stopped listening to it after a while because it was very one dimensional. It was picking. Yeah. But when you put the phaser on it, the picking went from. It did this it weird. It on its own thing. The phaser triggered in different places where you picked a whole other attack. 
that's what I was hearing on eruption and all those things that I couldn't, wow. that I couldn't understand. Like, why is this so fucking different when that's, he's doing the, it's, it's this, this compression and this weird tones. Like some of the picking sounded different within one line and it gave you a whole new character, not on the notes only, but on the picking the front end. Wow, and I was like, there it is. That's incredible. There's the tone. There's the tone. That's so did. cool. It's like another whole dimension. And that's why, to be honest with you, when you listen to the front of everybody's like, when they're watching those reaction video now and, and, and then, the bridge ends on, and rise and then they go into it and that part kicks in and they go and they open their mouths. I'm telling you right now, 90% of why that's that exciting is the phase 90 on it. That is so, so interesting, you know, and it, there's been so many like viral videos of people trying to learn the solo. And it's, it's funny. You see these amazing guitar players like I'm on day seven and I'm up to 68 BPM and I'm getting tendonitis. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like it, and it's like that wasn't it, a technical thing was really had nothing to do with that, the emotion no. that you came up with for those arpeggios. No, no. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, like when I saw as much as, you know, we love Rick so many. And, and watching us all these different teachers and stuff break it down. When he actually broke down the faster bit of the solo at the end, yeah. it made me sad. <laughs> <laughs> it made me sad. Why? It made me sad because I know he, why he did it. Yeah. And if I was a guitar player wanting to learn, and he started doing, and he's doing, okay, the A is open here. And it made me so human and so boring. And so that I, even I watched and I go, that's it? <laughs> That's all it is. That's all I did. You should be ashamed of yourself. Like that's like that's no. nothing. But what I mean is like it shows you that when you're improvising and you're going for blood with a song that I didn't break I couldn't even I, if I tried to play it slow for you now, I couldn't do it. I'd fall apart. I'd be it's, hard it'd be it, painful. It's muscle and I, memory. And I don't even know how to do it. I've seen this muscle memory thing in you, like where you haven't say gone on tour for a long time and then all of a sudden you're, you're going to play an extreme set with some of these difficult things and you've told me that you sit down and you don't really think about it all of a sudden you look down and it's like you're playing it. it's happening like at the at the end of it when i started going into that it look it's it's a style that i've done yep. you know when it came out and people were like oh, you know he's raised the bar it's whatever and like and i love a, a bunch of extreme fans were ringing in going really really no offense, Nuno, but you've been doing this. You did this in Peacemaker Die, for God's sakes. You did this in, you know, you did this in some of your solo stuff. And everybody all of a sudden, he's pissed. He's like, would you all miss it? I mean, what this is 1993? Come on. You know? No, but it's wonderful. But, it's but great the, to see. People. But the same kid brought up something really interesting. He said at the end of it, he goes, you guys have missed it. He goes, don't you understand? Like, if what, what tapping was for Eddie, this is what Nuno's been doing as the drummer in him, he's been doing this muted percussive thing for, for 35 years. And I didn't even realize that he kind of made me see it. I'm like, Oh my God, it's one of the things I do. I, I, I didn't even notice it. Like, you know, and in the journey of life, you're going to get better and better at things. Yeah. No, I don't care what anybody says. Like, you know, day by day, week by week, we improve. Yeah. And, and when, and when I kicked into that part of the solo, just in this room, you know, and I would stand up and play and I'm like going for it. I'm kind of like having an out-of-body experience in the sense where I don't stop myself and the core change is going down. So I'm like, well, let me go down with it and let me see what happens. And, but at that speed, yeah. I don't slow the, the, the rhythm track down. Let me try to work this out. I'm like, I, I don't even know what it is. Like, I'm literally in a panic. Last night was the first time. I'm like, oh my God, people are going to be like, are you kidding me? Like, but I, this is, I'm, I'm unveiling this. Yep. Last night was the first time that I realized, uh-oh, I got a show in 10 days and I've never played that guitar <laughs> I've never played the song, the rhythm tracks, the licks in the song. I've been, I've been editing the videos. I've been watching it. I could sing it to you. 
but I'm like, oh my God. I, and you know what it's going to be like when something has a little bit of a viral moment like that. You're like, yeah. the first time you go on stage and the phones come up, you they're going to be sharing it going like, it's not even getting nervous, but it's like the people are going to be sharing it going like, oh, he can't do it or he can't do it. Or and what? nowadays everybody with their cell phone up, there's like, well, it's going to be online in two seconds. They're going to go, oh, we were wrong. He sucks. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, and I was sitting there yesterday and I was like, oh my God, I'm in trouble because I had to literally be the same guy that's in those viral videos and in, in those, in the, I'm now that guy who's trying to play it slow and figure out what the hell I was doing. That's amazing. And I'm not even bullshitting even 1% on that. I'm like scared because you know, when we did the video and a lot of people were catching it, they were like, what he's doing in the video is not happening. Is don't let him fool you guys. They go off. And you know what? It was in the same wheelhouse, yeah. but hell no. Hell no. That shows a lot of humility in you to actually admit that into all these people in a podcast. And it's a human part of you that I love. Well, I, it, show, it yeah. shows you that how improvised and how on the spot that stuff was because I was getting creative where I was going. And I thought I knew what I was doing at the time, I think, you know, kind of yeah. like letting go yeah. because you pull out different styles in your in your utility pack, you know the yeah. things you do and some are muted things and the bends and the way you do things. You, you, know, you get your four or five styles within your own style and you, they come out. They, they come, come out, out without you going They on come good out or, organically yeah. They, yeah. They, they, and, and you, don't, you don't think about them. But, that, but then you're, at the end of it, you're like, what have I done? <laughs> like, what, yeah. okay. what did I actually do here? Wait a minute. Rewind. I got to go back. Yeah. That's really, really interesting. That's, yeah. that, that's, that's so you become. I'm, I'm the, I'm in the best extreme tribute band now for the next, <laughs> for the next week. And Nuno clone. I'm like literally trying to figure out what the hell I did. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. This is Anthony J. Resta. You're listening to Studio Secrets A to Z, and you just were listening to the song Gravity um, that I produced with Nuno Betancourt. We were in Australia in the Hit Factory in New York, and he's going to jump right back in here. So the, those the, the amount of time you put into the album, I know, I mean, some of these, I don't know exactly how long, but I mean, we're talking years of, of putting these songs together. Yeah. So you really are like, that's got to be crazy because, you know, you, you, you go, we all go through so many different phases in our life. So you going back, what, even, you know, 10 years or whatever on some of these tracks, right? Or Well, it's interesting, you know, maybe on a couple, but one of the reasons some of these, this album probably, you know, people like, you know, the album didn't take 15 years, but it probably took, when you do the math of the songs that ended up on there, it probably took the same length as an album. But because like you said, you do a couple here, you do a couple there, literally in, you know, 2012, you're like, let's get together and write. And then you go like, all right, those are cool. Those are done. But what happened was I didn't really click on the, on the foundation. Like 
you know, when somebody says, well, why did it take so long? It's like, well, it wasn't for the lack of music or the lack of songs. We probably had four albums worth. And we, every time we, we weren't lying every time in 2012 or 2013, we said we got an album. We were telling the truth. You had an album. You had an album, but you know, and, and they said, well, why didn't you release it? And I always said, look, there is a, how do you know when you're going to release something? For me, it's like, I told Gary a long time ago, like, I don't want to release anything that is for the sake of releasing it, you know, and much to my financial detriment, it's not a good way to be because, right. you know, you, you know, you get an advance when you put an album out, you know, that, you know, that you get publishing, you know, that you get to do more shows and everything else. But I was like, I don't want to put anything out that I'm not excited about. And, and, but people, well, then how do you know? I'm like, well, it's this little feeling that you get even when, when you were 11 and you were starting to play guitar. It's this little feeling, right? And I know you're relating to what I'm saying. It's back to, the, to why the you why. even started why to Why you were in music. a garage, why you picked up a guitar, and it's the same feeling. You're sitting there playing something, and then you go like, oh, that was cool. And it's like you created something. And you're like, and you know, like, not that you created, you know this is where it changes. You go like, I want to play this for my brother. I, I want to play this for my friend, my best friend, or even a guitar player. No, because you start wanting to share it. You start wanting to show somebody because you're proud of it yeah. and you're excited about it and you want to start sharing it. That's that childish, really innocent feeling. And that's doesn't, it didn't change for rise, which a matter of fact, like, you know, like I was literally, you know, uh, working with Jordan, Jordan Ferreira on, on, uh, love Jordan. uh, uh and super talented, super great writer, guitar player, Shredder, singer, everything. Right. Of course. And, uh, listen, he plays some technical stuff that in circles around me that I'm like, all right, get out, you know, <laughs> but, but, but my point is, is that we were talking about writing and, 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 you know, and, uh, and he, he, he came up with some stuff, you know, he came up with some riffs and set me some instrumentals and, it triggered me. I was like, wait a second. That's fuck. That's dope. That's yeah. really cool. And, uh, and, and I started writing some melodies on it and, you know, throwing like a solo down and did a few rearrangements of, of taking some of the sections and, and making, you know, knowing what's going to be a hook and what isn't, you know, I've done it with yeah, your stuff. Yeah, you know, exactly. I, I love, that's one of my favorite bits, you know, I, I love how you rearrange things, yeah. turning into a song. I love arranging and I love doing that, but it doesn't matter to me who wrote it. If it's 99%, 1%, it matters that, you know, you, you, the best song wins, right? And you're excited about it. And so yeah. even though we had a lot of songs, it wasn't until, you know, Rebel, Rise, Banshee, uh, a song I had, Mask, uh, that I also wrote with an, a, another great writer, Andy Healy, and then, you know, X Out as well. And then I started seeing the foundation of the house the shape of it the shape of it and and i and, and and then it was like you can't have build that house without the foundation so so if your band is like 70 percent rock and roll which extreme has their left and left turns in the more than words and the when i first kissed you's of the of of, of of our of our of our career you still you got to find what is that 70 percent of your rock and roll saying where are you going is it funky is it four on the floor is it this I started seeing it and I started seeing the puzzle being put together and the house being built and then we could build and throw the colors and the vocals and the things on it. And it wasn't until those songs in like, I want to say like 2018, that wow. late, wow. started coming together that we all of a sudden were like, uh-oh, we're onto something. And, uh, and it was great. And it was, and it was me was sitting down with a few different writers, including Jordan and Eric Warfield and, and, and it, lyrically and, Fantastic. and also, uh, you know, Kevin Antunes. Yeah, you know Kevin I know Antunes? Kevin, yeah. He wrote one of them with oh, me as well. Oh, I didn't know that. That's great. He sent me one. It's on Thicker, Thicker Than Blood. It's one of our favorites. And he sent me this insane instrumental. I was like, what He's the fuck? He's yeah. unbelievable. And uh, so it was like, there was some great collabs there. But 
at the end of the day, it's extreme, right? It's extreme songs, extreme melodies and vocals and lyrics and, sure. and harmonies and things like that. The way like that, that they're interpreted. And, and would you say how many songs out of the whole bag ended up being like the total number that got whittled down to be the new, new album? Well, you know how, how it works for us is that we we take every song that ever exists for us that, that were contenders. At, in the, at this rate, maybe I'm talking a good 40, 50 songs. Wow. Because we had albums. Sure. Albums worth of stuff. And this might piss a lot of extreme fans off, maybe going like, well, what the hell? Why didn't you put them out? Well, it's for that reason. Why is it not a triple album? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and we almost talked about a double album, by the way. We talked about it. And, and, but the truth of it was that we said, no, we haven't been out in a while. Let's, let's, let's really take the best of the best of the best of the best. Meaning what? Meaning like you curate an album like a live set almost where yep. there's, you come in guns blazing, you know, or, or I look at, I look at this album and I look at most albums like a meal. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like the first four or five songs are like appetizers where you, it's, it's like, you know, coming into the restaurant, you have a restaurant you haven't tried. And then one of the few tastes, try this, try an egg roll, try this, try that. What's going on? And you're <laughs> love like, it. I love that. There's Banshee, there's Rebel, there's yeah. Rise. Wow. Other side of the rainbow. Okay. That's an interesting dish and then whatever. Now you've kind of tried a few apps. Here comes the meal. Yeah. Here comes the, the, the main course and it's like the steak and it's like yeah. the, 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 the meaty stuff. You well, you're I mean? getting people excited about the rest of the yeah, album. This and, is great. They haven't I mean, even gotten to the meal yet. I can't they even, even believe that. The, meal that blows the my meal mind. is song six yeah. to song ten. It's mask. It's thicker than blood. It's save me. It's X out. It's hurricane. Where you're like, oh, this is deep. Like you're you're you're, yeah. you're going down a rabbit hole of. Uh, 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 wow stuff. two two questions regarding that um is i didn't even uh, tell you about dessert yet though no oh yeah tell the me meal, about we dessert get, first we get, we get, then yeah. you got dessert is our last couple of songs a little port wine you know a okay. little uh, that's that's beautiful girls and that's that's here's to the losers yeah well that's what i was going to say is there is there uh, like a, a acoustic-y well uh, there's acoustic stuff always there through, throughout the album you know we we've never it would have been smart for us to recreate it more than words a couple of times we'd probably be a lot richer and, yeah. and have an island somewhere but we never did that we we wrote we write what we write we write at the time we're doing it and that's what it is. But you got your tragic comics which are like Exactly I, I, but you notice how different they are like we yeah. don't pick up an acoustic to write let's do more, more than, than words, words. we two. don't write yeah. you know we you, you, whatever you write and we're, we sound nothing like Queen, but we're very much philosophical like Queen, meaning yeah. like do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. And and, and you know what? Don't apologize for it and be yourself. And, and so what happens is in the rise position, in the opening position, we'll have four or five contenders for that one position. And then that has ah. to fight for it. And then it's the same thing with an acoustic number. If we have five or six acoustic numbers, so we don't pick our favorites. We don't pick out the ones we want. We pick out the one. We know how it ends up on the record. We go, which one can you not take off? There you go. Because we want them all on there. Which one hurts you like you're taking off a limb if you take that one off? That's how these songs end up on there. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. One other question in that regard. Is there a Flight of the Bumblebee guitar piece on the album? Well, you know what's really interesting about that? I, I think I approached you about yeah. this. I was like, I was really wanting to. Yeah. I was really wanting to like in tradition of Edward and even extreme. I always had like a midnight express, a bumblebee, uh, yep. something there. But you know what that piece started as us as originally was like, I wanted it in front of rise. And originally when I was messing with the solo and I was jamming with over the band, I was thinking, Oh, maybe if I come up with something here that inspires me from the song, like mean streets inspired mean right. streets, yep. maybe I'm going to, I'm going to open with it. So I initially thought I took this whole guitar. solo. Oh my God. The whole guitar solo for Rise that you hear now was going to be the opening of the whole fucking record. Oh my gosh. That's and crazy. I, and then I went, that was me thinking. 
That was me thinking because all the other pieces I did, I recorded, I, I created them by myself. And I was thinking you're now doing something, you know, where you're going against the grain of what you believe, which is what I played that to that rhythm section, whatever. And it sounded more powerful in, in the in song, context of in the that song. context that when I took, took it out, it became a sum of, it wasn't the sum of its parts. It was a part Yeah, and it sounded just weaker to me and it didn't sound exciting. And I, maybe everybody's like, you're an idiot. You should have done it. It would have been fucking badass. But you know what? Next album. I, I, and then I went to you and I was like, you know, get, throw me some pedals. Let me get inspired. And yep. that, do you see that on the floor? I was actually using, yeah. I, I came up with some stuff for that and I was excited. But you know what? I didn't do anything. Once again, I didn't come up with anything that had me go like, I can't wait to play it for you. Well, then, then you know it's not right yet. And if it's not right, and if I come up with it, I come up with it. Because that's what happened yeah. with Midnight Express. What happened with Bumblebee. It was just me messing around, and it worked. And you just know when and, you know. Uh, and you know when you know, and maybe it'll be on the next one. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, well, I, I want to come back with a bunch more pedals, yeah, and that'll I, be a I fun time. I didn't bum out about it. I didn't be like, oh, I didn't come nah, up with nah. that piece. Because even everybody's like, Nuni, you got you to do it. I had a little bit of pressure. No. But I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm excited about the album. The album tells a story. The guitar playing within the songs tell a story. You know, and I said, I never want to play something on guitar if it's got nothing to say. You know? Well, that's, that's really cool. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. This is the wrap on the uh, first Nuno episode, Nuno Betancourt. Thank you for coming, and we will be jumping into part two next week. Please like and subscribe. to achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.